The Bible teaches us that the devil disses you and accuses you all the time, day and night. Look, if he doesn't take a day off, neither can you. You know, we, we might wake up in the morning and say, I just don't feel like a battle today. Get over it. It's not an option you have. It's not an option you have because the devil disses you. And in his dissing, the Bible teaches us that he desires to devour us. It's not just, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never harm me. No, the words of the devil dissing us are to bring us to a place where he can devour us. And then Jesus goes on to bring it even further in John 10, 10, when he says the devil comes to destroy, to kill, steal, to steal, to kill, and to destroy us. So you think of it, the dissing of us, the, the seeking to devour us and, and seeking to destroy us. That's why I'm telling you, there is no day off in this battle. There will be a day off when Jesus Christ appears in the sky. But until then, come on, we are not living in a spiritual bubble. We are in a spiritual battle. And that's why we gather to be equipped, to be equipped. And what I want to do today through God's word is to equip us as the body of Christ and the saints of God. So in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, the theme of this battle is just prevalent throughout the New Testament. Paul says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And one of the ways that we stand and withstand is we understand the devil's devices. And we read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. Now, last week, I, I gave a quote from um, Sun Tzu, the author of the famous classic called The Art of War. And I read this quote last week. I want to read it again today. Know your enemy and know yourself. And you can fight a hundred battles without disaster. If you know your enemy, and if you know yourself, you can fight a hundred battles without disaster. And so, here's what we know. The devil wants to diss us. He wants to diss you. He wants to disqualify us. He wants us in dissension and disunity and disharmony. He wants you disappointed. He wants you so disappointed that you're disillusioned and discouraged and disheartened. And he wants you dissatisfied because if you're dissatisfied, you become restless and reckless. And last week, we looked at how the devil wants you distant. He wants to diss your stance. He wants you distant from God. He wants to diss your stance in God. He wants you to live your life distanced from God. Look, he wants a God gap in your life. He's not saying don't follow Jesus. Just do it at a distance, and he'll do everything he can to make that gap as big as he can make it, all the while we're calling ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. 
And we looked at Peter's life. And we see how that the devil will use some of the devices that he uses to distance us from God, our guilt, fear, and doubt. These three strategies moved the apostle Peter from a strong stance to a distance. Peter, who stood so strong, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. If I have to die with you tonight, I will die with you from that strong stance. And yet, through the night, guilt. Through the night, fear. Through the night, doubt. And the Bible talks how now Peter is following Jesus from a distance. And we learned last week that the way that we draw near to God, when those strategies have been you know, we've been assaulted with, with those things, is we draw near to God with our faith. It's our faith that causes us to move past the guilt. It's our faith that causes us to move past the fear. It's our faith that causes us to move past the doubt. And so we talked about doubt last week. And we said this, doubt is part of the life of faith. No, don't think that this is strange Doubt, as a matter of fact, even the very definition of faith in the Bible, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, not seen. That's where doubt lives. It lives in the things not seen. And so we, we talked about last week that doubt is part of the life of faith, but we don't give in to doubt. We work through doubt. We don't give in and throw, up the, throw out the towel. No, we, we persevere and we work through it. And we said last week, and I want you to hear it again today, doubt is not a deal breaker. The devil wants to take you out with doubt. I ought to be a poet and not a preacher. See, doubts eventually, eventually they make us strong. Because when you can look back now on the things you used to doubt, but now you've worked through and you understand and you see, your faith has actually become stronger. So draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And do not let guilt or fear or even doubts distance you from God. Not today. I want to talk about how the devil not only wants to distance us from God, but he wants to distance, distance us from each other. He wants us distant from each other. One of the most used words in 2020, one of the most common words, either written or spoken, is the word distance. I've never heard that word more in my life. All my life combined, I've never heard that word more than in the year 2020. Keep your distance. Don't gather. Stay socially distanced. Make sure there's a distance between you and everybody else. And look, I get it. I get it. This is meant for our protection from the coronavirus. And I'm going to give you your one and a half meters. But that's all I'm going to give you. Because I need you. And you need me because we're better together than we are apart. And, and if one and a half meters is it, well, then let's be the best we can be only distanced one and a half meters from each other. Come on, somebody. Because the prayer of Jesus is that we would be united. The prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17 is that we would not be distanced. 
And of course, the devil, you know, there's social distance, there's physical distance, but there's also emotional distancing and spiritual distancing. And I'm telling you, the devil wants that distance between you and me. And Jesus prayed in John 17 in verse 11, Holy Father, I am about to leave this world to return and be with you, but my disciples will remain here. So I ask that by the power of your name, protect each one that you have given me and watch over them so that they may be united as one, even as we are one. He says, Holy Father, make them as close to each other as you and I are close to each other. And the devil wants to distance us from God and from each other. He wants us disjoined, disengaged, and disconnected. And 2020 has been a grand year for him and his schemes. He will diss our stance with each other to cut us off and to keep us apart. How does he do this? Let me show you three of his devices that split us up, take us down, and pull us apart. Very effective, very effective devices. I want to show you how he does this, how he brings this distance, the devices he uses for this to happen. Number one, an offense. An offense. Oh, how the devil wants you to take up an offense. Because, because Proverbs 18, 19 says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. I am telling you today, you better have a strategy for offenses. Because offenses will come and they will come again. And they will just keep coming as long as you live. You better have a strategy for an offense. I promise you, offenses are inevitable. But whether or not you take up an offense is optional. Offenses are inevitable. Being offended is optional. See, you have no control over the offensive words or behaviors or attitudes or actions of other people. They're just, they're just, it just is what it is. But you have absolute control over whether or not you are offended. People do not have the power to offend you. They only have the power to be offensive. Jesus said in Luke 17 and verse 1, he said that offenses would come. And the Greek word used here is the word scandalon. It means 
In its original form, a snap, trap stick, a snare. A trap stick, a snare. If you own a Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament words, that's probably impressive. If not, there is always online. But if you do own a Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament words, this is what it says about this New Testament word, scandalon, offense. This is what it says. The original meaning is the name of the part of a trap to which the bait is attached. So you know that part, right? If I had, and I've done this in the past through the years, because we have to talk about offenses sometimes because offenses always are coming. They come. They will come. So I've had up here before a great big mouse, uh, not mouse, a rat. I mean, why play with a mouse? Let's get a rat trap. And I have pulled back the, the, the uh, you know, and, and set it. And you know that little piece there that you put the cheese on? That little cheesy place right there, or peanut butter, or in Carol's case, chocolate. She catches more mice with chocolate than you can imagine. They like chocolate more than she does. But where do you place that thing? You place it on that little trigger called, that's the original, scandalon. When we take the bait, the trap will snap. An offense, an offense is the bait of Satan. That's what John Bevere calls it. He says, an offense is the bait of Satan. And here's what I promise you. Your response determines your future. When that little rat or big rat starts circling that trap and there's that cheese. Now, I don't know what's going on in his little brain, but I can tell you right now, whatever decision he's going to make will determine his future. And it's the same for me. And it's the same for you. The moment I take up an offense, the moment I reach in to the scandalon of offense and lay hold of it in that moment, I lose my freedom. I am now in a trap. I am now captured. I am now ensnared. Offenses happen all around me, but being offended happens inside me. So, what is the result of this device? What is the result of being offended? Jesus said this in Matthew 24 and verse 10. And then many will be offended. And watch, here's the result. Many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Think of that. An offense causes me to lose my loyalty and my love. How does someone lose their loyalty and their love by being offended? This is one of the devil's devices to distance us from each other. And I have been a pastor since 1979. 
And I have never known a device of the devil more effective than this one. And I cannot tell you how many times I personally, I personally have had to struggle and struggle and struggle with the offenses that come in life. The devil wants to diss us. He wants to diss our stance together. He wants to distance us. And one of his devices in doing that is an offense. Number two is, and uh, it's, a, it's a false idea. So we have an offense. And number two, this is his second device, a false idea of identity. A false idea, I don't know, are these coming up on the screen? No. Okay, stay with me. A false idea of identity. What do I mean by that? An idea that I am independent. A suspicion that I'm self-made. A notion that I don't need nobody. Bad English, but good preaching rhythm. <laughs> Proverbs 18.1 says, a man who isolates himself, a man who thinks he's independent, a man who thinks he's self-made, a man who thinks that he don't need nobody, a man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire, he rages against all sound judgment. I'm talking about the false idea that I'm fine without you. The devil would have us believe that we are complete all by ourselves. But this is not true. You are part of a body. You are part. You are not the whole body. Your body is part of his body. Your body is a part. You're an ear or a hand or a foot or an eye. And what good is an ear or a hand or a foot or an eye that is distanced or detached from the body? We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27, all of you together, all of us together, at home, in-house, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You're not it. You're not it. You're a part of it. We read in Romans chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. I really love this in the message. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. I just got to read that again because you may have just been gulping hot chocolate when I said that and missed it. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So, since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts of, in Christ's body, 
Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves to each other or trying to be something we weren't. If somehow during COVID-19 you have found yourself like a chopped off finger or a cut off toe and distanced, you need to get your butt back in here or your ear, or your eye, or your foot, or your arm, or your finger, or whichever part of the body you are. I probably shouldn't have said, but. But. I was just being cheeky. Oh, I'm getting worse. I'm getting worse. I'm getting worse. Stop it. Stop it. Fred, that's on you, mate. That's on you. See, here's the truth. Because the body of Christ is missing a part if you are not adding your part. See, it's not about you. It's about him. The devil wants to distance us from each other as much as he wants to distance us from God. How does he do it? An offense. A false idea of identity and Affection that's fading. Or the way Jesus put it, love that grows cold. In Matthew 24, Jesus explains to his disciples what the last days before his return will look like. Matthew 24 is the eschatology of Jesus explained. It's the theology of Jesus about the end times. And in verse 12, he says this, and because lawlessness will abound, the love, the love of many will grow cold. Love will grow cold. Affection will fail and fade. In the last days, the Bible teaches us that there will be three great loves. Paul, in his last epistle, the last letter Paul ever wrote to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul says this. But know this, in the last days. Jesus just said it. In the entire, we, this is what's going to happen. Now Paul's coming along, and here's what he's instructing the church. In the last days, he said, know this. Know this. Come on, we got to know this. In the last days, perilous times will come. And then Paul begins to describe what those perilous times will look like. Those perilous times will be focused on three loves, three great loves. And here's what he says. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. And lovers of pleasure. More than lovers of God. And of course, that means more than lovers of God's house or God's people or God's plan. These three loves, these three loves that are spoken of for the last days, they cause our love for one another to fade, to grow cold. In the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus and we read in Revelation 2, verse 4, Jesus said, I have this complaint against you. Listen to this complaint of Jesus. You don't love me 
or each other as you did at first. Maybe your affection has faded. Paul prayed for the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. I pray that your love will keep on growing more and more together with true knowledge and perfect judgment. The devil wants to dis your stance with one another. He wants to distance us. He wants you to take up an offense. He wants you to have a false idea about your identity, that you're enough by yourself, that you don't need anyone. He wants your affection to fade or your love to grow cold. But I want to show you the one word remedy to all three of the devil's devices to distance us. We did this last week when we looked at the three devices to distance us from God. And we, we saw the one word remedy was faith. It's faith that I draw near to God with. It's faith. I want to show you the one word remedy today against all of his devices to distance us from each other. The simple single solution for staying close to each other. It's something you wear. It's something you put on and clothe yourself with. Humility. 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 What is it that makes relationships work? What is it that makes friendships last and last and last? What is it that makes fellowships stand strong and endure and just keep going? Humility. Humility. Proverbs 13.10. Only by pride. comes contention. Don't ever get married without memorizing that scripture. Don't ever join a connect group without memorizing that scripture. Don't ever have kids without memorizing that scripture. Don't be a part of a connect group without memorizing that scripture. Only by pride comes contention. Actually, other Modern translations translate that word contention as discord, strife, trouble, conflict. Where does that come from in my marriage? Where does that come from in my fellowship? Where does that come from in my business, in my, my relations, my family? Where does that stuff come from? Only by pride. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, clothe yourselves all of you, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, when pride comes, contention comes. When humility comes, grace comes. What do you want to bring into the house? 
What do you want to bring into the relationship? I'm telling you, you bring your pride and it will not be long till I don't like you and you don't like me. But you bring your humility and grace will come. Grace will come into the house. Grace will come into the relationship because it is through humility that grace comes. Where there is humility, no one's taken up an offense. Where there's humility, no one is thinking that they're enough alone and all by themselves. Where there is humility, no one's affection is fading or waning. The devil has no device for humility or the grace that it brings. The devil has no device for humility and the grace that it brings. I once saw a crocodile kill a wildebeest that had become distant from the herd. I was in the Maasai Mara with Carol and Pastor Don Matheny. And it was the migration of the wildebeest. And we stood on a shore. And I saw a crocodile kill a wildebeest that had become distant, distant from the herd. It started across the Mara River, close and careful, with everybody else. But as I watched, it, it became distant from the crowd. The crowd kept moving and, and going. And in a moment, it was in the river, alone, all by itself. And what I saw next was brutal. It was violent. But I thought, well, even a crocodile has to eat. But then the croc released the carcass and it floated to the top and just floated down the river as the crocodile went the other way. He just killed it because he could. The devil wants to distance us. He desires to devour and destroy. He'll offer you an offense. He'll give you a false idea that you're okay. You're okay. You don't need anybody. He'll try to lower your love or fade your affection. We stand. We withstand when we understand the devil's devices. Would you, here in the auditorium, and there at home, there in Melbourne, would you, right now, clothe yourself with humility that there would be no distance between you 
and the body of Christ. If you've taken an offense, would you humble yourself? Can I just tell you, if you've taken an offense, you didn't take it, it's taken you. It's taken you. You think you've taken the offense? No, man. If you've taken an offense, would you humble yourself and receive the grace to forgive? If you've distanced yourself, would you humble yourself and draw near? If you've let love lift or affection fade, would you humble yourself, would you, and return to it? I want to pray for those at home right now. And then in just a few moments, I'm going to come back up and pray for those of us here in the auditorium. Father, I want to thank you for each precious person right now here in Australia and other nations that are watching. We're so privileged that others would join us from so far away. But Father, I believe that even being in another nation, we can still be close. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you will take these words, that you would make us wise, that you would make us strong, that you would set us free. I pray this message this morning would be a message of deliverance. And I pray all the plan of the devil to distance us from each other will be foiled today because the truth of Christ sets us free. I pray right now in homes that those who need to clothe themselves with humility would do so in response to this.